Welcome to the DL. This is the show where we talk about everything in the truck and equipment repair industry. It's my job to help inform and educate you on ways to help your business. We talk with technicians, business owners, associations, industry experts, manufacturers, and even a few you wouldn't think traditionally apply to your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, and today I'm actually joined by two guests. I got one here in my office, so sitting next to me here to my left is Cameron. So, Cameron, welcome here. Thank you. So, why don't you just explain to everyone uh, what your role is here at Diesel Laptops, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the subject matter here in a second. Okay, so I'm a diesel lead. Uh, I'm pretty much over all the diesel techs here. I help out and pretty much teach them up, train them. Uh, use my experience to help better them. So I know we had three diesel techs start today. Okay. Today, so yeah. how many are we up to now in our support center? Uh, I believe 15. 15 diesel techs, and yeah. they're all out there helping customers that buy mm-hmm. our diagnostic tools today. Yep. You call in, you get support. Awesome. So then I have our guest speaker here today as well, or interviewee, I should say. So with that, I'd like to introduce everyone to Chris Sturworth. I'm sorry, you know, I already butchered his name, right? Chris Sturworth. Welcome to the show. Uh, Sturworth. Sturworth. Man, I, I can't get those names. This, this is a German name. What do we have going on here, Chris? Definitely a German name. Thanks <laughs> well, for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Hey, no problem. I butcher all the names on the show. It's a thing I do. So again, glad to have you here. But the reason we have you here is to talk about ADAS. Um, that acronym is thrown out in the automotive world a mm-hmm. lot. Why did you at a high level, when I'm saying ADAS, what am I, what am I referring to? If you could just educate everyone here a little bit. So advanced driver assist systems are essentially anything that helps the truck driver to make his life easier, his or her life easier, anywhere from something as simple and as basic as ABS that's been around for a long time, to electronic stability control, to rollover stability control. And we've had that for quite some time. But now the more advanced systems are now like uh, lane departure warning, automatic emergency braking, um, rollover, or uh, collision mitigation, and like roadside roadside recognition um, and pedestrian avoidance. So all these different systems are functioning together. And um, the earlier systems I talked about, uh, the ABS and electronic stability control, those are all the foundations that the higher advanced systems um, rely upon and piggyback on. So all together, it's one big coordinated safety system and ADAS encompasses everything that goes into helping keep that truck on the road and being driven safely and comfortably for the driver. All right. So let's give everyone a little bit of background on you, first of all, to help out a little bit. So you're the chief operating officer of Fairfield Auto and, Tr- Auto and Truck Service. And mm-hmm. you're also involved in some committees out there that are in the industry and they're trying to kind of better better knowledge increase everybody and put some right practices in place. Can you explain a little bit what some of those uh, industries and associations are that are trying to do this? Certainly. So my company is basically a heavy duty collision repair body shop, essentially. Um, we haven't had a whole lot of representation or a home in the industry. Uh, there's no trade associations necessarily for heavy duty collision repair. So uh, I went and kind of network and connect the dots with other organizations around the country. Um, some of them were in frame repair, like the um, like Terra, the truck axle repair 
Frame Association or Truck Frame Axle Repair Association, EcoFast, the American Council of Frame Specialists, um, and then the Heavy Duty Repair Forum. That recently was organized within the past couple of years to bring uh, collision repairs, frame repairs, um, and mechanical shops, anybody that really touches a truck, that especially after a collision, it brings everybody together in a forum to create best practices. And then uh, the biggest organization I'm involved in is TMC, the Technology Maintenance Council. It's part of the American Trucking Association. And TMC, they create recommended practices. Uh, it's basically the best practices that the industry uh, agrees upon. And TMC is made up of engineers, uh, service providers, but mainly the fleets. So the fleets have the final vote on these documents that are created for them. So a bunch of experts come into a room and say, all right, this is the best way to repair frames on this truck. And they create a document and everybody in the room gives their, uh, their two cents worth of advice. And then they vote on it and create a document. And now it's a document that if you go into courtrooms and you have an accident, um, a lot of times people are referring to TMC documents as the proper way to fix a truck. So these things are well vetted and well respected. And um, now collision repair is a whole task force or an entire study group at TMC to create multiple documents on how to fix trucks properly after a collision. And um, I'm really excited about that because now in our industry, there's a lot of opinions on how to fix trucks. And what a problem with opinions is across the country, a fleet you know, has an accident in New York well, that repair has their opinion on how to fix that truck in New York is way different than what it is in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm at compared to Texas and California. So they're, they're not getting the same level of service or same repair across the country. I believe with these documents, it'll help get rid of opinions and be based on fact to help um, up the level of service that collision shops can give fleets across the country. So I want to break it down for everyone here because we always talk about our industry, the truck repair industry, literally being 10, 15, 20 years behind the automotive industry. So let's let's talk about automotive here a little bit. And I, I find automotive fascinating. I recently got my wife a newer vehicle, not new. She got a new, uh, we got a new Cadillac Escalade, a, a used one we bought, but it has all those, you know, adaptive cruise control and lane departure warnings. And I'm used to just, you know, I got a 2010 Camry, right? So I'm used to not having any of those things. And I was like, finally, I finally got brave enough to put the adaptive cruise on and take my feet off the pedal and just see what happens. And lo and behold, the car breaks for yourself. It accelerates by itself. I was just kind of keeping it, keeping it there in the lane. And it got really important in the automotive side for what everyone started calling position statements. So in the automotive world, um, can you kind of break down for the audience what is a position statement by an OEM and, and why that's kind of important in, in, in that regard? Absolutely. Um, a position statement is basically the OEM seeing problems out in the field and their vehicle's not being repaired correctly. So they would issue a statement saying this is the best practice for our vehicle when um, a situation happens. So it's, it's basically a blanket statement saying that, um, you know, for any of our vehicles in, in the, in the car world now, position statements are becoming out or coming out from the OEM stating that before or after an act, before an accident and after an accident, the vehicle should be pre-scanned and post-scanned before delivering the vehicle back to the customer. Uh, many of the OEMs are coming out with a position statement similar to that, um, because these cars are becoming advanced, 
the computers are starting to take over the steering wheel and the brake systems and slightly taking over for the, for the driver. Uh, ultimately these, these vehicles are, all the systems say that um, these are just assisting systems to the driver. You can never take the driver out of the equation, but we all know people adapt to safety, these features, and they take on more risks as they go. So um, these position statements are basically to let repairs know that these vehicles have to be fixed properly. And they're taking this so serious that they need to issue these blanket statements out to get the word out to everybody that uh, things need to be done to make sure these systems operate as intended. So I just saw a video come across my Facebook feed the other day and it was a guy driving a Tesla and he's going down the freeway, right? Cars all over him, like a three lane road. He literally gets out of his driver's seat, sits in the passenger seat, puts his hand behind his head. And then he's still doing 65, 70 miles an hour down the road. And I don't think a lot of people realize trucks aren't that far behind Freightliner mm-hmm. with a new, their new Detroit assurance system. Um, and I, I know Cameron, you did a little bit of research on this. Mm-hmm. Did you get, see some of the videos of people actually taking their hands off the steering yeah. wheel and the car? It, it's kind of scary in a class eight. It, it is. It's an 80,000 pound loaded vehicle going yeah. down the road. But where I'm looping this all back to is the automotive manufacturers. They've all pretty much all of them. I think Chris have released a position statement on the pre and post scan and what mm-hmm. needs to get done. In the heavy truck world, we have ABS, we've had lane departure warnings, we got all radars and cameras now. What position statements have you seen from the heavy truck manufacturers? I've not seen any formal position statements at all yet. If you do find the information, it's buried in the workshop manual or it's buried in the secondary supplier manuals um, for like the Bendixes, the Wabcos. It's in their manuals as su- or a supplement to the workshop manuals for the trucks. Yep. So, so what it's, you're—it's not a position blanket statement by any means. It's buried in the details. Yeah, and I think I think your industry is actually asking them for position statements, and they're they're really not saying anything at all. And I think you hit on another key pivotal point here. So I mentioned Tesla. Well, Tesla makes that ADAS system, right? They kind of own that whole thing, and Ford makes theirs, and Daimler makes theirs. I'm assuming maybe there's some third parties there, but in the truck world, they're not really integrated like that. So Cameron, you kind of hit on it. There's what are the three major or the only three, I guess, that are really in the heavy truck space for ADAS systems? Uh, it's mostly Detroit, and then Wabco and Bendix. Uh, Bendix has their Vorad, which is an Eaton product that's been out. It's pretty much older now, uh, but they have Wingman and stuff like that. And then uh, Wabco has OnGuard and OnLane and OnSide, a whole bunch of different stuff. And Assurance is a much more blanket ADAS system. Uh, it covers just about everything. Yeah, so I just I just saw the new Western Star truck got released, mm-hmm. and you know everyone likes those big box nose Western Stars, but of course this one's not right. Yeah. It's their new fleet model or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they put that into the new the new Western Star model truck, yeah. the forty nine X, I believe it was called. So it's definitely coming to our industry. Chris, are you seeing more and more trucks rolling in now with ADAS equipment installed on them, on the lane departure warnings and the cameras and all that? Is it is it more common at least what you're seeing on your end? Oh, absolutely. Um, just in the past couple, just in the past year, we're seeing it. It's, I would say it's on the majority uh, more so than uh, the minority. It's, it's becoming uh, more common than not to see the, to see radar on trucks. Well, and, sure. I, and I know Volvo kind of made it standard on their VN series, which is, it doesn't mean the dealer can't take it off, but they made it standard on every new spec. Obviously what Freightliner and Daimler are doing with their entire product line and everything. So with all that said, I know one of the big challenges when it comes to this stuff is knowing what to do when, right? 
And I did also read through all the manuals, and I was literally shocked and, and surprised to find out when you need to calibrate certain things. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things people not, might not be aware of, of when you actually need to run some calibration commands to make sure this equipment's operating properly? Uh, certainly. Um, for one, I believe you doing a pre-scan on the vehicle. Uh, that way you can kind of understand what was damaged or what issues the truck had before you ever started working on it and documenting that. And then going in and probing the vehicle to look for, like, where's the steering angle sensor set at right now? Where's the yaw rate sensor set at right now? Um, and getting that baseline to kind of understand where the truck is and what issues are going on right now. Because that way, when you go to do repairs to the truck, um, we might actually create an issue just by doing the repair by taking a part off and putting it back on. Um, if we just taking a bumper off the truck, sometimes you can get it, you have to manipulate the radar on the front of the truck if that goes on and off. You have to recalibrate the radar on the front of the truck or physically align it first and then recalibrate it using the software. Um, just doing a simple paint job on a side fairing on some of these trucks or the side skirts on trucks. There's sensors now behind these panels that you can't visibly see. And they actually use the panel as a, as like a lens for the safety system to see through. So if you put too much mill thickness of paint on that panel, or if you put body filler, Bondo essentially on that side panel, you can make that panel too thick and that sensor will not be able to read properly through the, through the, through the vehicle, like, a, or through the panel, like it's a lens. So having the scan tool to be able to go in and look at these systems and see if they're functioning properly after you've done your repair is critical um, to see if anything's changed from when you, you initially did your pre-scan is critical. And then, you know, just a simple alignment. How many trucks are going through tire shops now and getting alignments and where they might have to replace a, drop, a tie rod end or a steering knuckle or a pitman arm. And, you know, these could be aftermarket parts or there can be even OEM parts there might be a design change or, um, you know, the part might be recalled and the new part, the superseding part might be slightly different in shape and size. Um, an aftermarket part might have some different uh, dimensions compared to the OEM part. So these computers on these trucks know before the accident or before the repair, the computers knew where the tires were and the steering wheel is in relationship to the rest of the truck. When you have editing any of these parts to this truck, you can now change the, the dimensions of the geometry and the computer may not, the, the tires might not be in the same position as what the truck's computer thinks it is. So recalibration and a reset is necessary to make sure that the computer is in line with the tires and the steering wheel and the, some of the other sensors on the truck, like electronic stability control. It's critical to make sure everything's functioning properly or else the safety systems are either going to eventually throw a code and it can actually cause the truck to operate unsafely and in an unpredictable manner. So Chris, I'd like to go through a couple examples here to just to really get the listeners and viewers here to understand. So for example, say I have a Freightliner Cascadia or any truck and it's got a radar mounted behind the windshield, right? And I got my windshields cracked and I got my windshield replaced. It, is it just call him a glass guy and he throws a new windshield on there and we're done? Or is there something else that needs to happen in those situations? That seems to be what everybody's doing right now. Um, but yeah, there's a forward-looking camera, or some people call it a multi-purpose camera, that's looking through that glass. And um, you know, if you put an aftermarket glass in, the glass is a laminate, like a piece of 
um, sticky plastic essentially to keep all the bits of glass contained if the glass shatters. That laminate can be of a different thickness and that can cause the camera not to read properly. Um, that camera is in a very specific spot on that windshield. And if you just take that camera off and slap it back on in any place you see fit, um, that camera is going to, it's, you're essentially changing its place in space where uh, the camera might not read like it used to uh, previously. Um, I've even seen where technicians take just any old double-sided sticky tape and slap that camera right back up on the glass. And that changes the thickness of the camera lens to the windshield. And again, it can cause issues with the camera seeing properly. And that camera is looking out for pedestrians to see if it's going to run over a pedestrian. It's looking at road signs to tell a truck what speed to be running at. And it's looking for the lane lines to make sure it stays within the lane. And now that you've got lane maintaining capability, um, and as these trucks keep becoming more and more advanced, that it's going to be critical that that camera is functioning properly, or you could actually change lanes or cross over lanes where you're not attending. It's not going to seek pedestrians. So that's just setting you up for a lawsuit uh, if you don't have that operating properly. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of liability people are leaving themselves exposed to here by not doing the right things. And I was amazed watching your presentation where you showed a picture of literally that double-sided sticky tape the guy used. Looks like some tape my my wife might have around the house to hang hang something on the wall, right? And they, they put a camera back up there with it. And you're absolutely right. It's just that little that little bit of thickness difference can make a huge impact. And I know as a business owner, I probably don't want to have my business exposed to a lawsuit. That thing leaves and gets in an accident and an attorney finds out you just had the windshield off. They're, they're going to find something if you didn't dot the I's and cross the T's in that whole situation. That's so, one I've seen is command strips. Command strips? Yeah. <laughs> we had a fleet. I was at Kenworth that used command strips to put it up back on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're just you're just asking. You're just asking for, <laughs> asking for a lawsuit. You're asking for a lawsuit. And I, I don't know if you can't remember how, how much you read through it, but do you remember reading through some of the manuals and some of the other? I can't remember if it was Wabco or Bendix or who it was, mm-hmm. but one of them was saying – and even I was confused. It looked like they wrote it to say, even if you swap out suspension components yep. that failed, uh, you Detroit, need to recalibrate. Detroit's really sensitive about that. The You have to measure the height of the center line of the axle to the, and it knows the dimension of the center line of the axle to the height of the camera. So if you change like wheel and tire package, uh, spring rate, anything like that, you can throw it all off. Yeah. So Chris, have you seen similar things too when just swapping out suspension parts or blown tires? I one of them I'm pretty sure it said if you replace a tire it wanted some kind of recalibration command ran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything that changes the stance of the truck, which would be springs or framework, or um anything that changes the weight rating. Like if a lot of companies add drop axles or remove or change axles or lengthen or shorten frames. So any changes to the dimension of the truck um or the weight carrying capacity of the truck it can actually it can play havoc or wreak havoc on the safety systems they it'll confuse them it kind of creates like a so if you've ever had vertigo and you're basically giving the truck vertigo because it won't know where its place is in space and it it can it gets confused and basically gets dizzy essentially because the sensors might be relocated in a different place where the um the, the truck didn't think they were and it won't throw a code so if it's like a yaw rate sensor, electronic stability control sensor, if you change out the cross members on a truck or alter that frame or suspension, that, that you, I mean, just a matter of, you know, fractions of an inch, it can change the center of gravity for that, that sensor. And now you're, you're confusing the system and it, it doesn't know that sensor was moved. It's assuming it's in the same spot and that's going to make the system act unpredictably. 
Yeah. So, you know, we talked about kind of the pre and post scan and just to kind of expand on that a little bit. And that's ex- exactly what Chris said earlier. You scan the truck before you scan it after as trucks get through shops and things are moving on them. Or you're taking parts off or disconnecting batteries, codes pop and, and all those things. It's a great practice people should do. We're actually working on a solution, you know, for that here at Diesel Laptops. Mm-hmm. That's partly why we've been educating ourselves. But the problem we had was even educating ourselves. So, you know, we have access to some things. I'm going online trying to read through owner manuals, through service manuals, trying to find stuff. It took a bit of an effort on our part mm-hmm. to even find the stuff to to go out there. Chris, have you seen similar things or how, have OEMs been handily giving you this stuff when you've reached out to them? How, how have you gone about educating yourself on what needs to be done and when? Uh, luckily, I do have access to some workshop manuals for some of the OEMs. Uh, just because of relationships through organizations like TMC and being able to work with the OEMs. Uh, I've had access to some workshop manuals, which has been helpful. Um, But then going to the secondary tier suppliers like Bendix and Wabco, they've got a lot of information on their website. You do have to do some digging, Mm -hmm. but there's free information there and training uh, on the different systems. So it's not the most um, lively reading material, but it's critical to keep people alive for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really passionate about this whole thing. And, you know, I, I mentioned, you mentioned earlier to me that there, there's been a life circumstance that kind of happened to you that kind of got you involved in this. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Uh, yeah. Prior to um, working with truck safety systems, I, I worked with a gentleman named Mike Anderson from Collision Advice. He's a, one of the top consultants for auto body collision repair for the car world. And I was seeing how safety systems impacted cars and they were a little bit ahead of trucks. Well, um, while I was working with him, to, we, we were on a council with a bunch of other heavy-duty truck body shops. So we met every quarter around the country. And one of the other body shop owners, she was on the highway and a truck came up and rear-ended her at high speed and she was killed instantly. And I truly believe that that, that truck was a little too old to have these safety systems on them. But if they had today's safety systems, she, I a million percent believe she'd still be alive today. So, and then one of my employees, uh, he lost his grandson or he lost his son and uh, grandchildren and daughter-in-law to a truck, truck collision as well. And I, there again, the safety systems, if the truck would have had it could have, could have given them an opportunity to survive. So um, once that really impacted my life directly in the, the life of people, lives of people I cared about, I, I, it's, these are just magical. It's magic to me that these systems can actually save lives and cause a truck to stop before an accident is caused. And that I do have, truly have a passion to make sure that we give these systems their best chance for success. And it's going to come through educating the, the shops and the dealers and the fleets and uh, through programs like this. And I just appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any, you know, personal stories like that. So thank you again for sharing that with everybody. Um, but you're right. And it, it really frustrates me when I go on these Facebook groups or websites and I see people saying, we want to disable the, this feature or that feature or this system or that system. Mm-hmm. Like, man, th- those are, those are tools to save lives and make everybody safer out there on the road. I don't know how many, you know, hundreds or tens of thousands of people are killed every year on the roads, but it's, it's got to be a staggering number. I mean, we have a, we have a lot of vehicles driving at high speeds. Bad things are going to happen, right? So um, it's really important, I think, that repair shops understand 
what they need to do, not only for the legal reasons, but also just for the pure, let's make the roads a little bit safer for everybody. Is there any talk at TMC or any of these associations on how do we basically educate every repair shop in the country and every fleet on, on what they should be doing? Has that conversation ever come up? It's a hot topic for sure. At TMC, there's a, they're working with the FMCSA on a program called Techcelerate to get the word out. And part of the presentation I gave at TMC a couple weeks ago, they might, we might tailor some of that information and roll it up into a recommended practice on how to edu- uh, on how to fix trucks properly um, and make sure these systems are functioning. You know, a lot of these, there's a lot of good systems out there being thrown under the bus um, it, because they're, they're, they're good systems, but they're just not being repaired properly out in the field. So, um, and then they, like you said earlier that there's a lot of people disabling these systems or sabotaging these systems. So I, I think that's a case of, you know, once they get them calibrated in those trucker forums online where you see them disable, they're talking about how to disable these trucks and these safety systems. Uh, a lot of times, eventually down, down the uh, thread somewhere, people say like that their truck needs to be calibrated. And once you had their recalibration, everything was fine. Well, um, more and more people need to know how to do these practices these procedures in uh, TMC is uh, hopefully that by the next meeting, we might have some RPs out for ballot to, to help educate the, the, the rest of the. So let's talk about the education thing here for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I know you do some work here with these laptops and we, we will talk about diagnostic tools in a second. So kind of before that, when you needed something calibrated or, or something done, how are you guys making that happen? Like, and what was the what was the dealer's response when you were asking them to do these things that they probably had never even heard of before? Yeah, so um, before we had the tooling and equipment to do it ourselves, I knew it needed to be done. So we would contact the dealer, and the dealer usually looked at me like I had five heads and didn't know what I was talking about. So we had to, you know, print out the OEM information that I had access to and provide it to them, and it was a pretty eye opening experience for them as well. And it, it took some convincing too. They, they had to hear from a couple other sources that it needed to be done. But uh, eventually, we we got our neighborhood up to speed. Um, and there's some dealers that were out there that were proactive on it, but surprising amount of dealers that were not. And um, it, it, it's very frustrating, especially when you're the only people in the area doing it. It, it uh, makes it very difficult to to tell customers it needs to be done. So Cameron, you, you came out of a dealership world. Did you have customers contact you guys saying, hey, do this stuff? Or were you guys proactive? Or where, where was the knowledge level inside the, the building you were at? Uh, honestly, it was pretty about the same as he just described. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we didn't do too much with them. Uh, we'd do the calibrations and stuff. But honestly, we didn't do much repair work on them at the time. Yeah. Uh, when I was there, they were just starting to come in. And it was still kind of snake oil at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... But yeah, there is a lot of calibrations for it, both static and dynamic, that you have to do well to work cro- properly. Yeah, and I, I know, I know that Eaton Vorat system put a lot of bad taste in people's mouth. I yeah. think when it first came out years ago, the technology wasn't that yeah. good. It is really amazing stuff that they're they're doing today with everything. Okay. So, so I, I guess Chris, why don't you explain then? I guess you do have the tools now or the resources to do most or all of this stuff yourself. And Cameron kind of mentioned the static and dynamic stuff. Can you kind of break it down when it, when a calibration is needed? I guess, what are the two types and, and what options are out there for people that actually want to do repairs on these things? So um, a static calibration is usually needed after the repairs are done. It needs to be done in a 
level working space, a level bay, uh, I see a lot of problems with dealers actually where the vehicle's half in, half out of the bay on a, <laughs> you know, where the apron is sloped. Yep. And it, well, if you're trying to recalibrate steering angle or yaw, yaw rate sensors, they need to be on level ground. Um, so it needs to be a level bay for one. And then it usually, the truck needs to be aired up completely. All the tires need to be aired up. Um, usually you like to have it fully fueled. It needs to be in the state that the truck's going to be in most of the time to do all the calibrations. Um, and then sometimes that's not enough. You actually got to take the vehicle out on the road with the vehicle hooked up to the, to a computer system with the software. And, you know, by DOT laws, you're not allowed to drive and operate a computer at the same time. So that requires a CDL driver. It requires somebody either in the passenger seat or the computer hooked up to a hotspot. And you have a technician back at the shop using, uh, using the, like using the computer at the shop to control the laptop and communicating with the driver. So that's two people right there. And then typically you need another vehicle for the radar to calibrate against. And so that requires a third person to be in a company vehicle ahead of the truck. And then you got to have the right roads with the right amount of light poles and guardrails and lines on the road. You 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 have to be able to get up to speed. So, uh, you know, it can take some time just to get to that kind of a road. And, uh, once you follow your vehicle for a certain amount of time, the truck engage itself against it uses the camera and the radar as two sources of information to um, verify that everything is as it should be. And that, that can take 15 to 30 minutes, if not more, depending on traffic. Um, so, and that's three people involved. So it's uh, it, it definitely takes a lot of labor and a lot of diagnostic tools and equipment and it's, it's involved. It's a definitely a learning process. Some of the, some of the newer trucks um, hopefully will have targets available where you can do some of these calibrations without having to do a dynamic. Um, I think it's going to, in some cases it'll be easier, but um, there's just such a wide variety of different calibrations needed at different times, but you're going to have to stay on top of your, your tech game for sure. All right. So, and Cameron, you were mentioning you read some other stuff in the manual too of, mm-hmm. of situations that they have to avoid or. Yeah. So, like on front, uh, the multi purpose camera or the front facing camera, um, the road has to have good markings on it. So, you can't have potholes because that'll throw it off as well. Uh, lanes have to be clearly marked. Uh, road signs are an issue. If there's too many road signs, it throws it off as well. Guardrails. <laughs> Really, the location for testing them is the hardest part to find, uh, especially if you're trying to do a front radar. You have to be, I think, 300 feet behind the chase car. So that's got plenty of time for people to jump in front of you, throw the calibration off and just generally mess you up. Well, Chris, it sounds like a real pain in the ass, this whole ass stuff. Uh, it's a challenge, but it has to be done. Um, if not, you're going to have a you're going to have a customer that's complaining or their vehicle's going to be sabotaged and. It, if you don't have your, if you don't document that you did the calibration and we've been using like a GoPro camera essentially to show what we did and the time involved, um, because some of the software doesn't document things as well as you'd like. So that's one way that we verify that we did it that way later on down the road when, uh, you know, if there is a problem with that truck, we, we can show that we did what we were supposed to do. 
So a lot of collision work is insurance-based, right? It's just an insurance company paying for this, a good portion of it, at least, not like less than automotive. But are insurance companies usually pretty open and willing to pay for these things? Are they saying, Chris, nobody, no other auto body shops asking or asking us to pay these things. Why are you? We're not paying them. Or is there a battle there? Or they've been pretty willing to this point to, to cover those charges? Um, so because of organizations like TMC and the Heavy Duty Repair Forum, insurance companies are starting to attend those meetings and they are starting to get become aware of these things. And typically they want to have documentation sh- documentation showing the reason why. Um, and then they also have a lot of shops that are just using code readers and spitting out scans, <laughs> yeah. not necessarily knowing how to do diagnostics or, or doing calibrations or zero resets. Um, so they also want to know that shops know what they're doing and are actually doing it. So if you document, 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 you can, and you have the OEM information showing why it needs to be done. It makes it a lot easier. So it is a challenge. Um, but then again, you know, if we can create recommended practices at TMC and eliminate opinions and base it on facts, it's going to be much easier. Yeah, I, I think everyone needs to understand that's listening or, or watching this here on YouTube that there's more and more trucks every year getting these systems on them, and they're getting more and more complex every year. They're adding more sensors, they're adding more features. It's just amazing now to see what Detroit's doing with theirs, where you can literally not even touch a steering wheel for up to a minute, and the truck still drives down the road and keeps itself centered. And, you know, everyone wants autonomous trucks. I mean, I think we're still quite a ways from that, but it's really cool seeing the technology leaps a little bit at a time here as we go towards this. And I think anyone that's working on trucks needs to be aware of it. They need to understand their exposure. They understand what needs to get done. And like you said, they need to document it just for as a CYA more than anything mm-hmm. else, I would assume at this point. Um, and even to validate to the customer that these things are going to be done. So I know I can tell you from the diesel laptop side, we do have ambitions here to to kind of come out with a you know pre and post scan tool and help educate people and make them understand when things need to get done and how they should get done properly and everything. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking us through all this and everything. If someone wants to reach out to you and learn more, connect with you and, and help spread the message or just network, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Chris? Um, our website is www.fairfieldautotruck.com or we're at fatsinc.com or FATS Inc. on Facebook. Um, and then just if you Google my name, Chris Sturworth or Fairfield Auto and Truck, I, I'm pretty much all over the uh, search board as far as dealing presentations like this and, uh, and getting the information out there. So I'm not hard to find. Yep. And the organization refers to TMC. I can just tell everyone it's a great organization. I've interviewed a couple of people that are part of TMC. Diesel Laptops is a part of it. You're part of it. That's actually, I think, where we met the first time in person and everything, too. So it's, it's been great, you know, getting to know you and follow you as well through these years. Um, so, you know, with that said, did I leave anything out, Cameron? Did, I, did we cover it pretty well? Did we miss anything? Pretty much, yeah. We pretty, got it. Yeah. We got it good. <laughs> Look, just so everyone knows, this is Cameron's first podcast episode with me. He did a tremendous job. So a round of applause <laughs> for, for Cameron here. So appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, and again, Chris, take it easy, man, out in Ohio and everything. Stay safe out there with everything going on. And uh, for everyone listening and watching, thank you very much. We appreciate you. And remember, it's just not diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. Right.